This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Harry's. Go to harrys.com right now and enter promo code FILMCAST at checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave balm. That's harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use promo code FILMCAST uh, for your free trial set and post-shave balm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Adventure Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We got uh, a bunch of awesome stuff in store for you today. Uh, we got some what we've been watching going on at the beginning of the show, and then later on, we're going to be joined by Mikey Newman, uh, who is the creator of Movies of Mikey, the very popular YouTube web series, as well as a writer on Borderlands. Ever heard of it, Jeff? Um, oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. I put many hours into the Borderlands games, that's the for sure. Wildly popular Borderlands, so it's uh, going to be a real treat to get Mikey on talking about Doctor Strange today, the newest Marvel film uh, directed by Scott Derrickson and in part written by C. Robert Cargill. Really excited to dive into that with you guys. Uh, so that's what's on tap today on the Slash Filmcast. Find more episodes of our show at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Not going to be a slash film court today just for time reasons, uh, but feel free to keep your movie-related dilemmas rolling into us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We enjoy reading them, and we will tackle them next time around. Uh, Speaking of feedback, though, I do want to just mention one other thing. If you like the Slash Filmcast, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you go into iTunes and just give us a rating. Rate us on uh, iTunes. Uh, and uh, you can write a review for us if you'd like as well. It really helps people to find us in, in the sea of TV and film podcasts in iTunes as well as whatever platform you're using to listen to us. So we'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, let's dive into what we've been watching. Now, uh, as we mentioned in last week's episode, we actually recorded uh, episodes 389 and 390 all in one sitting, which was brutal, but it means we got to have a week off. Uh, and so it's actually been two weeks since we've recorded any episodes of the Slash Filmcast. Um, and in that time, I saw a bunch of movies, and I saw three movies that are going to be in my top ten of the year. So it's been a really good movie-going two weeks uh, for me. But I want to start with a movie that's not going to make it into the top ten of the year, guys. And that is Mel Gibson's newest film, Hacksaw Ridge. Have any of you seen this? No. This is nope. uh, the movie about Desmond Doss who is a conscientious, conscientious objector during World War II in the Pacific Theater. Uh, and he wants to be a medic, but he doesn't want to handle a weapon. And I'll just say this about Hacksaw Ridge. It is a movie of contradictions because <laughs> it's about Desmond Doss, who is incredibly pacifist to the point that he's willing to endanger his own life uh, for his beliefs. Ultra-Christian, you know, he's a huge believer in God and he believes in life and believes in healing people. And the movie wears its religious heart on its sleeve. And at the same time, this is one of the most violent, bloody, horrifying films I've ever seen um, from a, uh, you know, gore and violence perspective. The war scenes in this movie are pretty incredible. I mean, 
uh, up there with, I would say, Saving Private Ryan good in terms of this how... This did feel like it was going to be your next War Horse, Dave. So, <laughs> surprise. In terms of how visceral the war scenes are, it's really up there uh, in, in terms of like some of the best uh, war scenes we've seen. Uh, but the movie is like ultra-simplistic in its characterizations and in its message. Uh, but it's unique. It's uh, There's no other war film that I've seen like it where it's so religiously minded and yet... The action scenes are so well executed and so visceral and violent and uh, bloody. Uh, and so if you're looking for a really interesting, time, immersive time at the theater, I would say Hacksaw Ridge is a good choice. Uh, it's definitely a movie that I was impressed by, uh, even though I thought it's just kind of weird. It's just kind of weird how you're advocating for pacifism at the same time uh, want us to take kind of some kind of movie-going pleasure in uh, – all this violence that's going on. It's uh, weird, weird that that guy who made a movie about being violent to Jesus Christ would make that posi- take that position, right? Because that's not yeah. the same thing. I will also say this. I, I don't think I've seen uh, any movie other than – like beyond Hacksaw Ridge. I think Hacksaw Ridge is the movie this year I've seen that has the most Asian men in it uh, and also the most Asian men – getting killed as well uh so it has that distinction uh i was just like wow a lot of asian men in the movie and oh wow they're getting mowed down with reckless abandon as well uh it is almost uncomfortable in the sense that they're kind of otherized in this way in the movie but um whatever it's it's a true story you know based on a true story so uh it's fine anyway that's hacksaw ridge it's directed by mel gibson stars andrew garfield and uh i would say it's pretty good i'd give it like seven or eight out of ten liked it so uh, also saw a couple other movies. One of them is called Moonlight. Now, have any of you had a chance to see Moonlight yet? No, soon, soon, hopefully. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, so Moonlight uh, chronicles the life of a young black man from childhood to adulthood as he struggles to find his place in the world while growing up in a rough neighborhood of Miami. That's the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, I've struggled to find words to talk about this movie. Uh, I've in most movies I have a lot to say. This movie I don't really have that much to say other than you should go see it because it is an incredibly beautiful film uh, that deeply moved me. And uh, there's nothing else like it. I mean, you don't see stories like this told very often on the big screen. And so you should go see it, support indie film, support uh, writer-director Barry Jenkins who made this movie. Um, So that's Moonlight. It's out in theaters right now and uh, worth checking out, certainly. What a year for Mahershala Ali as well. Like after um, uh, Luke Cage – like that dude, he's been a great character actor for years. He was on uh, House of Cards as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he is really like lighting up right now. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic in this movie as well. So he mm-hmm. does a great job. Uh, so Moonlight is a movie I can recommend without any reservations whatsoever. Uh, what else did I see? So uh, I saw this movie called The Handmaiden by Park Chan-wook. I'm going to try to put together a separate review episode either yeah. with you guys or with Davindra and someone We're else. We're going to do this. I'm yeah. hoping yeah. to be. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. So let's, maybe we can do it you know, next week or the week after. But uh, yeah. The Handmaiden. Uh, I, that I that sounds s- like the title of a nice virginal uh, tale, right? <laughs> Nothing horrible can happen in that movie. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. I don't think the plot summary really gives anything away because uh, it's all <laughs> revealed in the first five minutes. Uh, a woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress, but secretly she is involved in a plot to defraud her. Uh, so that is the plot of The Handmaiden. 
I I don't want to say too much about the plot other than that, except uh, it is incredibly complex storytelling mm-hmm. uh, done by a master storyteller, uh, Park Chan-wook. And uh, this movie is incredible. I mean, possibly one of my favorite movies of all time, just because it's such an incredible cinematic experience. There's really nothing else like it. And I'm trying to be very vague because I want to <laughs> save it for the review. But it, it's amazing. Devinder, you saw this movie recently as well, right? It is It is incredible. Uh, it really solidifies why Park, Park Chang-wook is one of my favorite directors. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, don't take your parents to see this movie. This is probably my favorite film of his since Old Boy, uh, which was made in 2003. I've seen a bunch of his other movies since then. But, man, he is firing on all cylinders here and at the height of his powers. So For sure. uh, The Handmaiden, incredible film, and we'll try to do a, another review of that and dive more. I definitely want to talk about that because it also shows how much he's matured, I think, in a way, too. Like uh, Just when it comes to the way he handles stories about women and how he handles women in his films. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, women definitely are very prominent in, in a bunch of his movies, like Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, like Thirst. <laughs> But he like during Old Boy, he basically said like he could, he couldn't really call himself a feminist at that point. Although now, like after I believe having a daughter and you know being with his wife for a while, like his this movie just handles uh, you know women in a completely different way. And I like to see that growth in great artists too. I also had a chance to check out a movie called Christine. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb, which is very vague. Uh, <laughs> it's the story of 1970s TV reporter Christine Chubbuck. Uh, this and movie, her rise to fame. <laughs> this movie is directed by Antonio Campos, who directed After School. He also directed uh, what else? Uh, the movie um, actually After School. I think is the only one that a lot of people would know him for. Yeah, but yeah. it looks like he uh, was a writer. I'm sorry, a producer on Martha Marcy May Marlene, which is also a great film from 2011. They were like a whole group of uh, yeah people making movies together. After School is a really chilling film, and yeah. Christine uh, is also really chilling. But I just want to say that Rebecca Hall, who plays uh, the title character, who's based on a real-life person, uh, I think she deserves an Oscar for this role because she plays this very troubled woman with a lot of warmth and humor and sympathy. And uh, I, I found the movie both hilarious and tragic and really does a good job of capturing what life was like at mm-hmm. a uh, local TV news station in a very minor market. Uh, I mean, we're talking about like a TV news station that gets fewer viewers than a typical episode of the Slash Filmcast. I mean, that's how yeah. like small the audience had reached. <laughs> I'm not saying we have a small audience, but I'm just Whoa, saying... Whoa, like, Dave, that was... Com- wow. Compared to TV, compared to TV, I'm just <laughs> saying it's... Uh, yeah. The Slash Filmcast does not reach that many people. And so yeah, uh, there's a lot of both energy, desperation to get out of that situation, uh, and a lot of depression, a lot of mm-hmm. sadness in that environment. And uh, I think the movie does a wonderful job of capturing it. It's available right now in, in uh, limited release, but the movie's Christine, starring Rebecca Hall and directed by Antonio And Campos. not Kate Plays Christine, which is another movie about this enti- the same story. Right, so which, also came, which also came out this year. So it's very confusing. Yeah, and Christine yeah. is also the name of a, uh, a film based on a Stephen King novel yep. as well. Yep. So very confusing, but Christine, <laughs> you should check it out. It's the new one with Rebecca Hall. Uh, love that movie. So... Uh, all right, I think that's most of what I've seen, but I do want to mention one last thing, guys, and that is I had a chance to see Mad Max Black and Chrome Edition oh, nice. at the Cinerama 
in Seattle, Washington. They're doing a special 10-day run. Uh, run, do not walk if you live in Seattle to go see this because, firstly, seeing Mad Max Fury Road on the Cinerama when it was out in theaters originally was one of the best movie-going experiences of my entire life. Uh, because of how high resolution the projector they have in that theater is, how mm-hmm. immersive the sound is, incredible. Now, black and chrome, why would you watch a black and white version of this? George Miller has said that this is actually his preferred way of watching the movie. And for me, uh, you know, the black and white will have different effects for different people. For me, there were two primary effects. Number one, uh, the black and white actually makes the post-apocalyptic world seem more desolate and depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, it kind of uh, affects the atmosphere of uh, Mad Max Fury Road. The second thing is that with when you make a movie in black and white or you convert a color film to black and white, you are removing information from the movie. Right? You're removing all this color info that you don't then see. And so the audience then has a chance to appreciate and potentially not be distracted by the color elements of the film. Right? Mm-hmm. All, you, all you have left is the mise-en-scene, the composition, the way characters are positioned in relationship to each other, right? Uh, The tableaus, like all that stuff, like all uh, the stuff on screen without color is all you have left. And some scenes are better and some scenes are worse. You know, some scenes, especially that take place in low light, do not look as good uh, because it looks pretty grainy. They're converting a very low contrast scene into black and white. And it doesn't look great. Uh, the digital noise is very prominent. And then there's other scenes like when they're riding into the massive sandstorm that it was mm-hmm. so beautiful I almost cried because yeah. I had never seen it quite like that before. So I don't know if it's better than Mad Max Fury Road, the original, uh, but it is a unique experience that should be behold, uh, that you right. should behold in a theater if possible. But uh, good news for you. Uh, the black and chrome edition is available right now on video on demand, and I think if you have the iTunes version, they give it to you for free. I believe. Really? That's uh, that's cool. what I heard. I don't know if that's would you, true. Would you buy it again if you already own the uh, the Blu-ray day? So I think what my difficulty is, Devendra, is uh, I already have the Mad Max Fury Road Blu-ray, and uh, I yeah. feel like uh, if I'm going to buy it again, it needs to be 4K, and I don't think there is yeah. a 4K version. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think there's a 4K version of the Black and Chrome edition. Oh, not yet. Well, yeah, not yet, but you know, you're going to have to buy another one. So don't worry. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to maybe wait for the Black and Chrome edition to go 4K, uh, yeah. is my plan. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a movie I'm, is worth rebuying the Blu ray for for me. I'm just hoping I can only rebuy it once versus needing to rebuy it twice when uh, the 4K version comes, which hopefully yep. it will at some point in the future. So. Uh, but anyway, Cinerama is still playing it through the end of the week. So if you're listening to this and you're in Seattle, and I know a lot of you are, uh, go check and it out. In a lot it of major cities, it. it's still playing for for a little bit too. Ticket cost sixteen dollars to see it at the Cinerama, but uh, it was worth it. I already yeah. bought I already bought another uh, ticket, so I'm seeing it cool. at least one more time. Wait, you're um, saying that like that's an expensive ticket? You realize that's what tickets cost in New York, Dave? Yeah. So, uh, every well, ticket. you know, it's more expensive to live there and stuff. So whatevs. <laughs> Uh, and finally, just wanted to give a shout-out to a movie that's out on Video on Demand right now, uh, Tickled, which is a movie I talked about when I saw it back at SIF, mm-hmm. uh, the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, it's directed by a friend of the show, David Farrier, uh, who I've actually interviewed, and I'm going to put that interview probably out on the Slash Filmcast feed sometime in the next few weeks. But uh, definitely worth checking out this movie, guys. Cool. Uh, you should check it out. It's a blind buy, in my opinion. It is an incredible documentary that goes places where I, I never thought it would go. Where, and, do, you, where uh, do you find it? 
You can get it on video on demand on iTunes. I think there's a, an exclusive commentary if you got it on iTunes, Ooh, actually. Okay. So uh, I would, yeah, definitely check it out. I, I'm really curious to see what you guys thought of it. Now, Devinger Hardware, I saw a tweet pass over the transom this weekend uh-huh. that you had a chance to check out Alex Price's new film, Gods of Egypt. I as, did. As was our agreement for me winning the summer movie wager this year. Yeah, th- thanks to a very good friend forcing me to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So what you think? What you think of it? It's uh, it's not completely terrible. I, th- I think that's my. <laughs> I think my that's, main a, I think that's a win. It. I think Dave takes that as a win. Yeah, totally. It's totally. uh, I mean, yeah. This there's so much about this movie that doesn't work. I, I still, you'll hear us talk more about this during Doctor Strange too. I think the the racial issues in this movie annoyed the <laughs> hell out of me. Like the opening scene. Like a blonde white dude, supposedly like uh, almost like a live action Aladdin, I guess. But blonde white dude talking to like an Egyptian shopkeep, like a big white dude. This is the whitest Egyptian movie I've seen <laughs> since uh, since Exodus, Gods, Gods and, and Kings. Kings. Um, okay, so but that, don't, don't you feel on throughout. some level that Gods of Egypt is what would have happened if a movie like Mad Max Fury Road went horribly wrong? Like it's just the fever. It's, it is. It it's is. the fever dream of a it crazy a creative individual th- who, yeah. Yeah, who, who dreams up visuals that you could not possibly conceive of in a even million years. Even if there is no yeah. story to support them, even if like the script isn't, is terrible. Like, e- it, even if the visual effects are hit or miss, very yes, yes. good to very he horrible. swings. He swings hard. He swings high. That's I. I love Alex Perez, or at least I. You know, I'm a big fan of The Crow in Dark City. Like I love his style. Uh, I just, for the love of God, like give this guy a good script. Give him, give him a good movie. Because his talent, like throughout certain sequences in this movie, uh, his talent is just clearly going to waste. I love some of the aspects of it. Like it really goes fully batshit. I actually love uh, mythology stories that really go for broke in terms of how they visualize the world and everything. So on that respect, I think uh, it's worth watching just for the spectacle of yeah, it. Yeah, because there's nothing else like it. There is but nothing else time, like that movie. at the same time, fuck this movie. Like, <laughs> that's, that's my review. All right, all right, fair yeah. enough. That's Gods of Egypt. You can watch it on HBO uh, Go or HBO Now. Demetri, yes. you've been watching a few other things as well. A bunch of things. This is what happens when we have two weeks off. Uh, we just kind of pile stuff up. But I did see Shun Godzilla before... Uh, it left theaters, and this is the new Japanese Godzilla mo- movie, the new Toho movie. Uh, Shin in Japanese is for new, stands for new. Uh, so and big, this movie- big question, right? Is yeah. Shin Godzilla or Gareth Edwards Godzilla? What do you think? I, I would say Shin Godzilla all the way. Gareth Edwards Godzilla clearly has like the spectacle as well. Like there's. There, there is like an exponentially greater budget for Gareth Edwards Godzilla, <laughs> uh, but it, it, that's astounding to me, by the way, because that dude like just came off of uh, what, what was it? Monsters. Uh, yeah, Monsters. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a very small, tiny indie movie he made on his laptop to a big multi-million dollar movie. Shin Godzilla, it has a budget. I think it's 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 certainly much more modest. Uh, but this is a movie directed by like freaking masters okay in japanese cinema uh it was co-directed by hideaki anno who did the anime series neon genesis evangelion uh one of my favorite anime series it's a it's like a psychological drama about giant robots and the end of the world it's fantastic and also co-directed by shinji higuchi who did uh, nadia secret blue water and uh the uh, the attack on titan movies recently so for somebody who likes Japanese uh, cinema, or at least that sort of like anime pop cinema, uh, this movie is just like a great combination of talent. Uh, and in that respect, I think the movie is fantastic. Like it is the most 
uh, thematically rich Godzilla movie since the original. Uh, I studied Godzilla at our college, Dave, because we had very cool professors who were interested <laughs> in the impact of pop culture and what that meant for like a society and how they responded to, to like a, you know their world events. And Godzilla, the original one, is a response to World War II. That is, you know, Japan working through all of its anxieties and creating this radioactive monster that's going to destroy them. And eventually ends up being their savior in a way. It's really there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, Shin Godzilla, it's basically rebooting that story, but uh, he's the nuclear uh, sort of monster um, for Japan today. So it's sort of a commentary on the uh, the nuclear rea- reactor, yeah, Fukushima, uh, yeah, on Fukushima and everything that happened there. And the government's like a complete inability to deal with that. This movie is partially like a political farce. The first 15 minutes, I think even before we see Godzilla, we see like a rumblings of a monster. You spend 15 minutes being introduced to just like bureaucrats, like rooms and rooms of bureaucrats. They're title cards for all these like minor characters you'll never meet again. But every time you see a new character, there's a title card. It almost feels like in the loop in a way. Uh, They're constantly having meetings. They're trying to figure out how do you deal with this giant ass monster that we're seeing? What's going on? Some people don't agree that it exists. Like everyone's, some people are saying, let's ignore it. Uh, They move to bigger meeting rooms. Like it's, it is really a political farce so in that respect uh, i saw a lot of people who were kind of turned off by that aspect of the movie but i think uh if you're looking at it through that lens of something like in the loop or veep uh it's actually really is it's kind of funny and the monster itself this is a gross sick ass looking godzilla and the uh the actual attack sequences there's some great puppet work here just great stuff we're seeing on a big screen uh and definitely better than most of the like follow-up godzilla sequels which really turned Godzilla into like a yeah savior of Japan against other monsters. I like Godzilla as a symbol of like, you know, yeah, the fears and the anxieties of Japanese culture. So that's what this movie gets right. That's Shin so, Godzilla. It's available in limited release right now, right? Yes. You know, you know what? I, I had a realization, uh, guys, recently as I was kind of drawing up a preliminary top ten list of the year. I, I, I recall last year in 2015, right, our best movies of 2015, I feel like 80% of them were the same across all the lists. Right? Yeah. That, strike yeah. Years, right? that happens. I feel like I'm going to have perhaps eight movies on my list this year that mm. you guys don't have on either of Challenge that's, that's gonna. I just have a feeling it's going to be a lot different this year. That's good. That's that, good. I'd yeah. rather have that than yeah, us totally. totally. I totally. agree. I yeah. agree. I think it's more interesting to have a diverse list, but I also feel like there's a lot of movies I need to watch. Yeah, because, that's, that's uh, true. Because more, it's possible that more, for the first time ever, more than half of the movies on my list will be documentaries. Uh, which okay. is there's just been amazing documentaries come out this year. So, uh, but yeah, Shin Godzilla. I saw the the trailer for it. it looked great, but uh, totally struck me as something that's right up to Avengers Alley. It's totally uh, up my alley. The you really have to watch in the big screen because they this Godzilla is just so freaky. He's kind of terrifying looking, and his tail spans like several buildings. There's a wonderful shot where like the tail just like flies over the audience and over several buildings in like that sort of scale. That's great stuff, man. That's what a monster movie should be. Devinder, you've been watching a couple of other things, right? A couple other TV shows. Also, I've been watching Channel Zero on Sci-Fi. Have you guys heard of this thing? Nope. I believe it's sort of uh it's based on some of the uh creepy pasta stories from Reddit and those are just like scary stories I believe from that subreddit. Uh it's a series being run by Nick Antoska. The first uh the first I guess it's going to be an anthology almost uh, sort of like Black Mirror but the first like series of episodes is called Candle Cove. It's about a child psychologist who goes back to his hometown uh, where um, a group of kids were mysteriously murdered when he was a kid. 
he's going back and just trying to figure out, you know, what happened to his twin brother. Uh, it's a basic, it's, it's sort of like a Stephen King setup for this, like a guy coming back home who clearly has some demons of his own to fight. Uh, but what I love about this show is that it is fucking terrifying, guys. Like, the, the monsters they come up with um, are just insane. Uh, it's a show that harkened, uh, the, the kind of key to the show is this children's uh, uh, TV show that the kids were watching at some point and it in, probably warped their mind in a way. Uh, but if you grew up watching shows that were probably just a little creepy or if adults were watching you watch it, uh, it would just seem a little freaky. It's, it's sort of like those anxieties uh, being turned into something truly horrific. Like, what if those TV shows were, like, telling kids to murder or something? Uh, it looks at the dark side of culture like that. Um, mo- mostly, though, I love it because it is incredibly creepy. It's There are some sequences in the show that I think um, are better than, you know, the vast majority of horror movies I've seen over the past couple of years. And there's imagery in the show that kind of just burns into your mind, too. It feels almost like... Uh, Hannibal, in a way. I believe uh, Nick Antosca uh, was a writer on Hannibal. So there's some of that really dark uh, psychological imagery in there as well. Uh, worth checking out. I don't think sci-fi has marketed it well. Uh, they're really bad at marketing their good shows, which is a damn shame. Uh, but yeah, worth watching. And uh, I, there's one monster who's made entirely out of teeth. Children's teeth, I believe. And it is oh, horrific. I think I saw that gif on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is horrific, and I don't know why the hell that wasn't on, like, posters all over the place before Halloween, because that would have sold people on the show instantly. Um, So, yeah, worth a watch. I believe it's also on Sci-Fi On Demand. If you have, like, Sling or something, too, it'll be on the On Demand there. All right, well, that's uh, Channel Zero. And uh, what is Chewing Gum, this other thing you've been watching? Chewing Gum is this new show. I think uh, if uh, you've probably seen it pop up on Netflix it's a it's about a British girl uh, kind of just dealing with her life and her struggles and uh, you know her friends and family. It's a it's it's a funny show. That's what I really love about. It. Like there's so much. I'm feeling kind of down, guys, because of the election and uh, the world falling apart. And this show is full of such charm and energy. It's about a religiously conservative girl who's really trying to uh, I don't know expand her horizons in a way. So trying to see her have a sort of sexual awakening uh, after being raised in an environment that doesn't quite allow for that is hilarious. And uh, it stars uh, Michaela Cole, who's fantastic. Like, just she she's almost like a cartoon character. Her face is so expressive. Uh, she makes everything about the show fantastic. So I just recommend checking it out if you want something fun and happy and energetic in your life uh, to, you know, make you ignore the election for a little. That's Chewing Gum, and it's available on Netflix. That's what Davinder's been watching. Jeff, you've been watching something too, right? Don't worry, guys. My list is a lot shorter uh, than, than these guys. Um, as much as I have loved Westworld, and I do love me some Westworld, I think my favorite show of the year, perhaps, is the new Amazon show from David E. Kelly and what? Jonathan Shapiro called Goliath. Uh, this is uh, starring uh, Billy Bob Thornton and William Hurt, and it's phenomenal. Uh, eight episodes, I believe, all available via Prime streaming. So if you have Amazon Prime, you watch it for free. Um, it blew me away. Blew me away. I have to give credit to uh, Scott Kurtz, the um, the cartoonist and, and internet personality that people probably know. Uh, he and I are buddies, and he recommended this show to me. He said he loved it, and I – 
uh, went in kind of not really expecting much, and it blew me away. It, I kind of describe it as damages meets rake. So, Ooh, it, huh. it, you know, I loved damages, and it's like, that's like the vicious courtroom uh, where you have, you know, people working at a law firm and just being vile and, and mm-hmm. backstabbing and having – being calculating and all that stuff. And then Rake was this short-lived show that uh, – Is that Greg Kinnear? Is that- Greg Kinnear yeah. and uh, Jeff Kanata was, was on that show as well. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was about sort of this um, this kind of – Fuck up, guys! Kind of a, a a lawyer who has you know kind of drinks and is you know kind of bumbling a little bit, but not bumbling in a comedic way. More like just kind of has a messed up his life. So that's kind of what this is. Billy Bob Thornton is this like once amazing lawyer who gets himself embroiled in this really intense lawsuit with his former company, the company that still has his name on the door, and. Um, the twists and turns of the case and the characters. William Hurt plays this almost cartoonish character who has burns all over his face. It's, it's really crazy over the top, but, the, but the, the show does this incredible thing where we spend time with everybody and we learn about everybody and there's shades of gray with every character in the show. And by the end – you sort of sympathize with everyone and you also kind of have gripes with everyone and you've spent time with what are traditionally the villains and it is so cool. The second episode, the end of the second episode, I leaped out off of my couch and shouted (laughs) and woke up my son. Like it was, I've never seen a show do what they do at the end of the episode too. It's crazy. I'm sure your um, wife loved that, Jeff. Yeah, yes. she was not pleased. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I remember when uh, David E. Kelly made good shows. So yeah, okay, this sounds interesting. He's capable of it again, guys. Remember the practice, huh. guys. Pretty awesome. practice was yeah. very good. Remember L.A. Law? Probably not because you were too. Uh, not as much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, he's he's capable of making great shows, and this is this is. Phenomenal. Uh, I, I just thought it, it's really unlike anything else. There are characters in it that you've never really seen. He kind of cobbles together this band of misfits to take on this case. Uh, there is one actress that I wanted to highlight. Her name is. While you're looking for that, I just want to mention that L.A. Law is actually uh, potentially going to be rebooted by Stephen Bosch. Oh, really? So yeah. oh, crazy. Then she comes back. Yeah. Uh, so Nina Arianda. You guys know who that actress is? No. No. You would recognize her. She's a character actress. She's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, she was in Horace and Pete. Uh, she was in – what else was she in that you would know? Uh, Hannibal. She's in a bunch of – she's in oh, Han- nice. Masters of None. Um, she plays uh, a, a character uh, by the name of Patty Solis Papagian huh. and is this I, – I, her performance is – Worthy of an Emmy. I have never seen a more well-rounded human person on television. I, I, I'm just astounded by her character work in the show. She takes what is a pretty flimsy character on the page. And at no point do I ever not think she's a real person. I never see the actor at work. I just She just seems like this real person that you would encounter in the world. It's It's an incredible performance. Billy Bob's great. Uh, William Hurt is doing some crazy stuff. Maria Bello is in this. Um, 
Molly Parker from uh, from House of Cards is awesome in this. It, it is great show. Great, great, great. That is Goliath, and it's streaming right now on Amazon. Thanks. Uh, if you're a Prime member, you can get it for free. Uh, but yeah, Goliath is headed by Billy Bob Thornton. You know, one thing I've always admired about Billy Bob Thornton, Jeff Kanata? His tattoos. No, that's incorrect. It's... The vial of blood he used to wear around his neck. No, you're getting closer. <laughs> okay. It is his facial hair. Uh, oh, it just feels yeah. very majestic. Me- very meticulously groomed. Mm. Uh, and very meticulously kind of... But know. that kind of grooming is out of our reach as mere plebeians, mere pedestrians. I, I who... mean, I think one of the problems, Jeff, is that grooming your own facial hair is a huge pain in the ass. It's uh, tedious. You know what the biggest problem for me is, Dave, is buying the razors that would be required. I don't want to go in... You know, they're usually locked in a cabinet at the at the, at the uh, drugstore. I don't want to... It's such a pain. Well, not only that, they're, that. like, incredibly expensive, too. Oh, don't get me started. So pricey. Uh, big razor companies have this annoying habit of putting out new models and raising their already high prices. But, it's why uh, we can't all look like Billy Bob Thornton. I like know. Like we all want to do. It's a huge problem. Fortunately, our sponsor this week, Harry's, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, uh, is here to help with that problem because uh, they have dev- devised these razors, uh, these five-blade razors that are not only uh, incredibly close to the shave, very comfortable to use, uh, and just classy looking overall. But they are much cheaper than a normal blade that you will pay for at a drugstore. You know what? You know what? Uh, uh, you know most people uh, call them a sling blade, but I call it a Kaiser blade. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we have a really special offer for listeners of the Slash Filmcast. You go to Harry's.com right now and our promo code Filmcast at checkout and claim your free trial set and. Post shave balm. That's Harry's.com with promo code Filmcast. Now, I uh, have actually used uh, all of Harry's products. Firstly, we've recently got some Harry's set to replenish uh, our supply, and uh, they are super classy looking, right? The box it comes in, mm-hmm. it's a paper box, but it looks like it could be at home, like as a permanent part of your bathroom set. For sure. Um, so I love just, the razor handle. It's very well balanced. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing you need. Feels like that, but also I, I'm going to put this out there too. The post shave balm, which is a special bonus offer for mm. just listeners. Like if you get a free trial set, uh, you don't get the post shave balm. But if you use promo code Filmcast, you get the post shave balm. It is. You know what, Dave? I could listen to you say post shave balm. Post all day long. Shave balm. Post shave balm. Post shave balm. Post shave balm. The post shave balm is. Uh, awesome it smells good it feels good i use it every time i uh, after i shave and uh post shave bomb it's probably my favorite part of the harry set is just putting that post shave bomb the post shave bomb the post shave bomb on my face (laughs) uh it it soothes and relieves skin after shaving and uh it smells great uh so i would really encourage you to uh, use that part of the harry's kit that you can get for uh for free uh, when you use promo code Filmcast at checkout, so you get what do you get for free, Dave? You get the post shave balm, <laughs> Jeffrey. The post shave balm. The post shave balm. The post shave balm. So go to Harrys.com right now and our promo code Filmcast at checkout to claim your free trial set and the balm that you use after you shave. <laughs> that's <Aww. laughs> that's Harrys.com promo code Filmcast. 
Um, thanks to Harry's for sponsoring us, and I'm a huge fan of their products. We also got to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Uh, thanks to Steve Zhang. Thanks to Dan S. from Michigan. Peter T. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Peter T. from Coburg, uh, Victoria. Michael from Los Angeles, California, as well as Michael from St. Louis, both of whom gave very, very generous donations. Really appreciate that, guys. Uh, also, new subscribers, Christine R., Matthias B., Hawkins D., and Richard C., who subscribed at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to subscribe at the rate of $2 per month or just make a one-time donation to defray the cost of seeing movies here on the Slash Filmcast and support what we do here on the show, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. We would be very grateful for that. Thanks to Harry's. Thanks to all of our awesome listeners for donating. Let's get to our review of Doctor Strange now. Doctor Strange. You think you know how the world works? What if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, we harness energy and shape reality. We travel great distances in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice. Here's the bit. There's a strength to him. But is he ready? That was from the trailer for Doctor Strange, the newest Marvel film directed by Scott Derrickson. Uh, it was written by John Spates, Scott Derrickson, and uh, C. Robert Cargill. Uh, this, the plot summary from IMDb reads, A former neurosurgeon embarks on a journey of healing only to be drawn into the world of the mystic arts. Uh, this film stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Mordo, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer, Benedict Wong as Wong, and Tilda Swinton as the Asian. I'm sorry, I was the Asian one. I meant to say the ancient one. <laughs> oh, your Freudian slip. Freudian slip. We are going to get. We are going to get to all of that casting. That I, I, was brilliant. <laughs> I needed to clear all that up at the top because we are going to get to all that momentarily, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but joining us today for our Doctor Strange review is a very special guest. He is one of the writers on the insanely popular Borderlands series of video games. He's also the creator and host of the YouTube series Movies with Mikey. Which we all love. We yes. are all big fans yeah. of. You should check it out. Yay. It's on the Chainsaw, uh, Chainsaw Original, right? It's Chainsaw, Chainsaw Suit Re- Original. Chainsaw yeah. Suit Original. Uh, find it on YouTube or Google it, Movies with Mikey. Mikey Newman, welcome to the Slash Homecast. How are you doing today, sir? I am great. I am very excited to, to talk about the Benedict Cumberbuzzle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff to talk about here. Uh, so... Uh, Mikey, why don't you start by telling us uh, what your relationship is with these Marvel films? Uh, Jeff Kanata has often said he's a Marvel zombie from way back. Uh, tell us about your fandom of Marvel or lack thereof. The films I'm a, a huge fan of, though I, I think that we'll we'll be talking about like sort of the baggage you bring from Marvel films mm-hmm. into this one uh, later. But like growing up, because uh, I, I was thinking about this recently and I found some of my old comics. Uh, all my old comics are DC. And I don't really know why. 
Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I have. Well, I, I, a lot of it was like uh, Justice League, and I got hand me downs from my uncle. So a lot of my stuff is like, uh, like way back. This is um, going to be an epic gold, battle. Golden Age and and Silver Age stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I don't remember being that attached to many characters, and I think my obsession with comics came sort of because there was the the nineties extreme years where everything was like you know uh snap into a slim jim oh brother like everything was that extreme uh and lobo yeah yes yes spawn um and and i i came into comics as an adult and as and as a writer of comics i've written quite a few now uh i came in with like Sandman and Why the Last Man and Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men when I got back into that and Planetary. And I, I think I've always sort of liked the more esoteric contained stories um, because the problem with comics in general is that any one character is sort of useless in their own story after a given amount of time because there's no definite end. So they die sometimes and some other people die sometimes and then they come back and you're just sort of rebooting the same thing over and over and over and over. So you, you end up building the beginning and the middle of a lot of stories and never really the end. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's what the movies well, give well, us. A part of that, that is the economics ends. of uh, comics, right? Yeah. Like you need them to, you need the stories to keep going on. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's considered a success if it keeps going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think we, we often joke about serial serialization taking over television uh, in a very important way, because like you can't you can't just walk and watch an episode of Breaking Bad like at random if you've never seen the show. Like it's so serialized, it's one story. You know, uh, I I lost my train of thought a little there. No, I I, I, I serialization I, I think, is so important in, in television, but I think you were trying to say like it's yeah. always been important in comics, right? Well, I I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the serialization Not we're seeing in in television now comes to a you know, uh, stories that do have endings and serialization yeah. in comics is more lo- along the lines of something you would see in a soap opera or in professional wrestling where the goal is to just make sure you come back next time. Right. That's all the goal is. It's not about telling a story per se. It's about keeping yeah. you on the hook for next time. Yeah, I, th- I think what we remember in, in comics in the long run, though, is like the, the quote unquote run you know the the brewbreaker run on on Captain America or you know or the Hell's Kitchen stuff uh, uh, when Daredevil goes to to prison and like you you have these runs of these very sort of finite stories um, and I think that's what we take with us and I think what Marvel has done that's very smart is they focus on these 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 sort of legacy runs and they sort of make a movie out of this out of that you know and it yeah. it it doesn't just go on forever like. They have, you know, a, a beginning and an end, and we we get a story as opposed to Superman is just Superman for fifty years. Right. So, are you saying you're a fan of how Marvel has approached this? Then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yes, I make that very clear. I, I think Marvel is <laughs> is one of the the smartest filmmaking studios uh, in, in in industry right now, especially when you look at it from the perspective of like running a business, right? Because uh, we're happy, you know, to to uh, to engage and indulge. Uh, them for what they do and i think it's amazing so given how masterful marvel has been uh through the years do you feel like uh dr strange lives up to the success that they've had so far i don't know if that's an easy yes or no unequivocally yes i loved it it blew my mind it was huge and crazy and sort of the no side is that 
we're starting to to see through the veneer a little bit, I think, and right. they're starting to kind of repeat these same beats. It was all very slick and very quick, but I did, I, did, I it never really spent any time with any one thing. I mm-hmm. think mm. interesting, yeah. Uh, well, let, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But Jeff Kanata, let's get uh, opening thoughts from you on Doctor Strange. I think I'm going to be uh, predictably a little more uh, effusive about this. Uh, I I have saw. Uh, Doctor Strange a while back now, but um, I came away from it feeling like it's in my top tier Marvel films. Uh, yes, it does some of the things that are flaws in the Marvel film canon. Uh, it has a woefully underused uh, love interest female protagonist <laughs> character. Um, she's you know much like uh, Natalie Portman was in the Thor movie. She's she doesn't really do much. She doesn't really have much. Um, agency she's she's not around for any real reason uh and i think that's a shame i I hope that that changes in future films because rachel mcadams is you know a fine actress and deserves more than that as my significant other put it jeff when she saw this movie rachel mcadams in this film plays a uh, successful neurosurgeon whose seeming only jobs in the film are to do surgery on benedict cumberbatch Heal Benedict Cumberbatch, talk to Benedict Cumberbatch, and yeah. shave Benedict Cumberbatch's face. On command. It yeah, seems command. to be yeah. the totality of her tasks in this film. But <laughs> and, anyway. you know, having said that, I think a lot of people, a lot of women in this world would be happy with that job if you were a Cumber- Cumberbatch. <laughs> I mean, uh, forget about women, Jeff. A lot of men yeah. would also be happy I with that. Put, I'm front of that line. I will sure. shave the Cumberbatch any day. <laughs> uh, I mean, true, true or false, if you got paid 50 grand a year to shave Benedict Cumberbatch, would you accept that job? I think a lot of us would probably say yes, right? Oh, yeah. And I think she's getting more than 50 grand. So, I mean, it's a win-win. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah, that flaw is, is still present, and it's a shame. Uh, it still has the, the thing that I know you always rail against, uh, the, the sort of bluish thing in the sky that's the, the, the threat against the um, – Blue beam in sky. That's right. Yes, blue beam in yes. sky. This isn't – it's beamish. It's beamish <laughs> this time. It's not pure beam. It's more vague beam. But it's still beamish and it's still bluish. Uh, I think the reason for that and the way it's handled in this movie is much more clever and much more satisfying than I've ever seen it dealt with in a Marvel movie heretofore. But uh, – it does have that those issues, right? And it still is an origin story, uh, although I think it's necessary to have an origin story. I think Doctor Strange's origin story from the comics is interesting and compelling and has stakes, and I think it's well executed here. And I think you have to do that because this is a character most people probably don't know anything about. And having said those flaws, I think the movie is – Stellar. I think it is thrilling. I think the visuals are off the charts. Each action sequence, and there are many, uh, is different and is wildly inventive. The movie starts with one, and right at the beginning, I was like, "Oh my god, what what is this? Where are we? We're you know the way physics is uh, you know thrown out the window." One of my biggest gripes with Doctor Strange as a comic book when I was a kid, I was never into him having his own solo book because his powers were never very well defined. It was sort of like, oh, I got a spell for that. We got a problem? Yo, I'll solve it. I got a spell. And my, you know, magic resolves it. It's fine. Whatever we need. It doesn't matter. But what the movie does so well is, A, it sort of 
creates a visual language for all that stuff that's really clear. And B, it takes that sort of there are no rules idea and just completely runs with it and has tons of fun going, oh, okay, well, there are no rules. Well, let's just go topsy-turvy and crazy balls and just have a blast. And it's so much fun. uh, And Cumberbatch is so charming and they allow him to be funny and fun uh, I found this to be thoroughly entertaining throughout and thoroughly inventive and and visually thrilling. I just – I loved it. Uh, how about you, Devendra? I'm very curious what you felt about this movie because yeah. going in, you were pretty skeptical given the whitewashing controversy, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were pretty skeptical going in and so did the movie win you over? It's uh, it's complicated. Like I yeah, saw it a couple days ago yeah. and uh, I honestly haven't even like – put together what i was gonna tweet about it or something <laughs> and basically like after hearing you guys uh, praise it so much like that honestly that's how i wanted to feel you know mm. i wanted to love this movie it had so many things that i love you know it opens with a freaking like kung fu magic fight with some of the most <laughs> insane visuals we've seen not only in a marvel movie but in like action movies um and what, know, I, what my, I love about the, yeah. the the action scenes of this movie is they can, they keep one-upping themselves. Yes. You, yeah. you start with an incredible action sequence. It's basically like imagine uh, a ton of people who know martial arts fighting in that scene of Inception when they folded the yes. city on top of itself. Yeah. Uh, and so that's already amazing just to imagine that. And then mm-hmm. the movie outdoes itself again and again. The next it doesn't scene, use the same yeah. trick. Yeah, it doesn't it use the same tricks. trick. Yeah, there's yeah. new tricks every single fight scene. And that mm-hmm. is just amazing. It's spectacular. It yeah. It really builds on those visuals, and I think that's the biggest strength of this movie. Uh, what Scott Derrickson does with it is fantastic. Because the thing is, I liked it, but I didn't quite love it. Because uh, what you were saying, Dave, the veneer is there. You know, this feels like Iron Man 1 all over again. You know, we have the cocky dude who's so good at his job, um, but also incredibly reckless, and he is forced to confront, you know, the uh, his deeds in a way and forced to, like, find redemption in a way. Um, and I honestly, I just didn't feel much emotion about what was going on with uh, Doctor Strange and with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character. And that's the real thing. I think the visuals were great. The ideas were fantastic. Uh, you got you got Mads Mikkelsen in freaking, like, devil's eyeliner. <laughs> and I love Mads Mikkelsen. Just that look, like, everything about it. He really committed to it. But I didn't care about what he was doing uh, because it, it feels like every other big bad guy thing that doesn't quite make sense i'm sure on the surface the idea of uh, immortality sounds great and you'll do whatever it takes for that but it, he never quite sold it for me other than him saying wouldn't it be great guys <laughs> if we just didn't have to die like let's let's destroy all of existence and uh let's go with that like I, it didn't feel backed up in a way that i really uh, felt for it. So for me, like I, I think just the emotional connection of this movie wasn't quite there for me. Honestly, I'll probably end up seeing it a few times too because I was also annoyed by the projection in my theater. Um, did you guys see this in 3D? I saw this yes. in 3D IMAX and it was actually okay. a spectacular experience. So I'm sure in a good theater it probably is. Uh, in my theater, it wasn't projected. It definitely wasn't projected bright enough. And then you put on the 3D glasses and it's it it is not so great either. So I'm trying not to hold that against the movie, but I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but yeah, it's ultimately, I feel like this is a movie filled with things I want to love, uh, but I really just come away liking it. Yeah. Uh, let me share a few thoughts and then I, I want to bounce it back to Mikey here, uh, ask him a question about what he said regarding uh, Marvel baggage. But uh, I agree with you, Devendra. I think that uh, visually, 
Doctor Strange is probably the most impressive film in the Marvel series of films for me. Like, just new and inventive ideas, and not just the action scenes, folks, but the part when he's going through his uh, training and seeing what alternate dimensions are like, and the movie finds a really creative, mind-blowing way of visualizing all that in a way that still kind of makes sense, that is an incredibly daunting, formidable challenge that I think the movie handles really well. And Uh, and not only that, can I just add on to what you're saying? Um, Looking at the source material, they have almost too much source material to choose from. Like just deciding what the look of Doctor Strange's magic and his world and what those other dimensions are going to look and feel like – Artists have gone completely bonkers in representing that even up until the modern incarnation, which is going on now. There's demons and there's creatures and there's psychedelica and there's all kinds of different versions of it. And the fact that they like were as disciplined as they were in sort of finding a, a visual language, sticking to it, and making it clear and comprehensible throughout the movie, I think is an accomplishment. Yeah, I think the the visuals are just a stunning achievement uh, that it goes beyond just Marvel movies, just movies, period. You know, this is something <laughs> that I, I think Doctor Strange has accomplished something that we rarely see in movies, like finding a new language to express alternate sure. worlds in, I just thought is just so impressive. So, And shout out to uh, Scott Derrickson for this, too. Like, uh, I've been a fan of his work for a while, uh, ever since The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a great little indie horror movie. And then he did Sinister a little while back. I also even like the uh, the visuals of his uh, Day of the Oysters still, which isn't a great remake, but it looks really really cool so i'm glad that he got you know a property that looks like it'll be very successful and also like you know it has a chance to show off what he can do here yeah we should point out that this movie uh did do very well 85 million dollar opening domestically yeah uh so it's it's considered one of you know the the bigger successes in the marvel franchise uh so visually the movie's great the action scenes are spectacular I think where and I will also say this, despite Big Blue Beam in the Sky, I'll just say that the way uh, the uh, villain is dealt with in this movie, I thought was a refreshing, refreshing change yes. of pace. From awesome. I'm saving that for spoilers, yeah. but yes. So, yes. so I'm not going to say what happens, but it's it's different than how uh, what I would expect from a movie like this. So, uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of cool stuff to like about this movie. Unfortunately, uh, I think I would. Bucket my problems with this movie into two categories. Uh, one of them being how the movie handles minority characters, which is very problematic. We'll save that for a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But the other one is just Doctor Strange himself. Uh, and whether or not that character is likable, relatable, whether you can root for this character, I don't know that I feel that Benedict Cumberbatch brought that much to it. Uh, well, I, I, I don't even know if it's him. I, I don't think the writing is there. I don't think there's enough in the movie to really flesh out that character in a way that, yeah, would make him a little more sympathetic. Yeah, uh, and I, I think know. one of the biggest yeah. problems, you know, one of the biggest impediments to the writing being there, I don't think is our very talented friend C. Robert Cargill. I think it's the fact that this movie's two hours long and they had mm-hmm. to introduce, you know, a dozen characters and all these principles of how this new form of magic and spiritualism works in this world. It's just so much to get through. And I think the movie <laughs> kind of suffers a little bit be- because it's trying to cram all that into such a short runtime. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So if the movie had been 20 minutes longer, I think it might have had a little more room to breathe, a little bit more time to characterize uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, a little bit more time for Rachel McAdams' character to do more than just to be a character, you know, to take care of Doctor Strange. Um, It took several movies for Gwyneth Paltrow to actually be a fully fleshed out character, you know, in the Marvel Universe. So it's like it takes at least two or three films, I guess. Let me ask you this question, Mikey, which is you were saying how we're starting to see kind of what the Marvel formula is, you know, that we have a flawed, uh, hubristic protagonist uh, who then needs to come to terms with his sins and then receive special powers and then defeat the enemy in the end. Uh, And I'm curious, you know, given that you were talking earlier about how you kind of start to see through the formula, you start to see how these things are constructed – how do you think they can change it up? Uh, do you think they need to change it up? And if so, how? Like, they, are, Yeah, go ahead. I, I, in this film, I really felt that they started to. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it, it's sort of like on a scene-by-scene basis because some of the stuff I liked about this movie I think is some of the stuff people didn't. Um, when uh, Christine is Rachel McAdams' character, she's talking to, to Stephen early on in the film before his accident and – She's she's saying something about like she's she's really pushing hard and it's a really emotional scene and she says something like something about finding what he's looking for and he turns around curt as hell and he's like <laughs> what like you <laughs> and it's so mean yeah and you're just like I don't like this guy at all yeah and yeah. and and that was on purpose. That was designed. And I was like, okay, hang on. Cause th- this isn't like, like Paul Rudd and, 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 uh, Robert Downey Jr. are, are throwing barbs. Like th- that was mean. Like these people have known each other a long time. That was just mean. And <laughs> yeah. we, we sort of, we, we see him go through this whole thing. So you have, you have like an Iron Man one, you have Iron Man building his suit and he has all these failures and he's learning to use it. And this one was, he was just like, I want my fingers to work. Yes, but <laughs> magic. Yes, but now I know magic. How does it work? Read books. Yeah. I read books. Training good magic. Yeah. yeah, and it was, it was like, the, the, without that, that tinge of something else where he's just mean, like this mm-hmm. voraciously mean person, uh, it, it's, that's where it started to feel formulaic to me because it has to go fast. I mean, this, this is a 90-minute film. You're in, you're out, and you're done. And... I, I, when that, when they're, it's, it's more that they're recycling the same beats. Like these, these aren't necessarily the hero's journey beats, but these are the Marvel beats. <laughs> right. and, the Marvel origin journey beats. Yeah. I'm, guess, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to solve another problem in my life, but instead of solving that problem, I solve it in a way that makes me a superhero. So I'm not really going back to my old life for solving that, but I'm doing this new superhero thing. Yeah. And yeah, it starts to become this sort of Marvel framework. And very, I mean, very clearly it seemed like a repetition of that Iron Man uh, framework, which isn't, which honestly the other films didn't quite fully do. This one f- feels like it does it more because it feels like they're positioning Doctor Strange as like the Tony Stark replacement. You know, the, the next super powered, charming dude who could right. yeah. lead our troops. But I think Angie Han from SlashFilm.com in Twitter referred to him as like off brand. Tony Stark, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I, the goatee doesn't help. <laughs> I was hoping, you know, I'm hoping that he is something more than that, but I don't think this movie yeah. really delivered on that. That being said, let's throw it to Jeff, who I know disagrees. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think ultimately you guys are sort of just um, criticizing the source material, right? And which is sort of created, Part of it. 
by the same dude uh, when he was just like pouring out ideas mm-hmm. 60 years ago. Right. You know, and he went to the same well a few times because that well works. And it's like, okay, well, now here we are all these decades later and, you know, I don't know. I I guess it doesn't bother me so much because I'm thrilled to see the origin story told in a really effective way because that's his actual origin story from the comics, right? Yeah. So I have a bias there. But I, I understand that it perhaps feels formulaic, but I also well, felt like the movie was thoroughly entertaining. And I I I guess I did feel a little – um, that the um, the transition between him not knowing anything to you know reading all the books and being awesome oh, yeah. was a, a little fast for me, uh, but again you know hard to do in in the context of this film, and and I thought actually it was at least a good thing that they didn't make him sorcerer supreme in this film you know like he doesn't come out of it being the best he's just sort of holding his own by the Although he's pretty end, clearly you know? the best. Yeah, I, I disagree, yeah, I, I disagree yeah. completely with you about that, yeah. Jeff. I think wait, that... Wait, wait, before we... I need, yeah, I need yeah. to ask Jeff one question. Yep, sure. In the, in the origins, uh, in the comics, because I've read some Doctor Strange, but not the, the origin, and I'm very curious, is, is the car wreck present? Yes. What, how bad is the car wreck in the comic? Because <laughs> in the film, it's... Yeah. It's a cartoon. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, obviously, it's, it's more of a curiosity. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think that I don't even I can't remember the panel that shows the car. But basically, yeah. he gets into an accident and it hurts his hands. Right? Um, that's that's consistent. Uh, I can understand what you're saying about it being like you know end over and end over end, and it hurts his hands. You're like, oh, I, his hands. I, I feel like I just I relate to like because the the surgeon losing hands and and needing to to because that's his identity, his money, his fame, his power, his women, right. all of that comes from this one thing. And he lost that. And I, I feel like that that's a thousand times more effective with with a car accident that wasn't that like that. Mm-hmm. that it felt like this is a spectacle moment. And I'm like, yo, dog, the spectacle in this film is so insane, amazing, <laughs> blow your mind all the time. Couldn't it have just been like not that, you know, like do, do we really need a moment for that? But it definitely – you know, it took yeah. me a second. Like, well, okay. uh, so I'm sorry, Mike. I'm not 100 percent clear. Are you saying the car wreck? You just wish it hadn't been a plot. Top. It hadn't yeah. been a plot point at all. There, there is no. I no. I, 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 I want. I wanted it to treat the car wreck as a dramatic scene, not an action scene. I see. I, like, don't try to impress because that car goes off a cliff, <laughs> it tumbles down multiple rocks, it crashes through two fences, it goes end over end like 12 times. That dude, like whoever's in that car is a jello pudding pop at this point. <laughs> and then he's like, my yeah. hands. And it's like, couldn't if that had been simpler, I think it would have, because all the pieces that are, I, I do love the movie, but like it, it from that point, it started to, to try to entertain me in ways that I didn't think were, were necessarily entertaining yeah. things. It's like, right. this is a sad thing. Let us feel the drama, not the gee whiz action. Of yeah. It. Well, the that's. Most- the most effective thing of like the is the aftermath of the crash, right? The shot of his hands and seeing that in three D, I think, is really effective because that the horror of that is clear. You don't yeah. need like yeah a big explosion for that really. Uh, I want to read this email from Zach from Louisville, Kentucky, who wrote into slashfilmcast at gmail dot com, uh, and then I'd like to get the spoilers after this if possible. But Zach writes in, "Hello, slashfilmcast." 
what's the deal with all this unmotivated character humor in all of our latest blockbusters? I just yes. got back from seeing Doctor Strange, and I've started to notice a trend in certain Marvel movies, uh, the latest Star Wars and a handful of other big-budget releases that seem to feature main characters needlessly and uncharacteristically spouting off funny quips and one-liners. Maybe it's Benedict Cumberbatch's face or Doctor Strange's world-renowned career as a practicing neurosurgeon, but I just don't buy that character as a quippy, snappy prankster that would oh, crack okay. some Adele slash Eminem mm-hmm. pop culture reference to lighten the mood. That felt- person needs to meet a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I felt the same cringeworthy feeling during Star Wars Episode Seven. Why is Finn always cracking jokes throughout the movie? He's perhaps one of the most conflicted new characters that we meet, but he's also in large part the comic relief question mark. Arguably, the only joke that actually fits in Doctor Strange is when Strange and the main villain face off in the middle of the film, and Strange arrogantly asserts his title as Doctor rather than Mister. It's entirely within character, and it's genuinely funny as a result. Why do these Temple franchises seem insistent on making us like a character through forced humor? Oh, uh, man, I could not disagree more with that, man. I could. I just, just did go in there. I also fully disagree. <laughs> All right. I, so it was, it was sort of the thing like when, uh, yeah, Angie calling... Uh, you know, Stephen Strange, Tony Stark, Light. That's the feeling I got from a lot of the humor. Like, really, really forcing the Eminem references, really forcing things. It didn't feel as natural, I guess, coming from Coverbatch as it did from uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but you guys disagree. Uh, Mikey, yes. you, you thought the humor was or- organic to the film? I'll, I'll make my point very quick so you can <laughs> ship the Jeff. Uh, I, th- I think what's important to, to recognize here is humor is not a binary. You are not funny or not funny. There's a lot of different kinds of funny. And what is so important to Stephen Strange on screen is that this person is so, so much better than everyone around him. He literally plays God and saves lives as if it's nothing. He has no view of the ground. He is fatalistic to a fault, which his hubris is what creates Doctor Strange through the car mm-hmm. accident, whatever else. But like, doctors that are that good are like that. They <laughs> right. get so <laughs> detached that it is sort of a farce and a fun. Like life becomes a bit of a farce. And I and the way the humor was written because the the person that wrote this was uh, Masa Worm, wasn't it? I don't mm-hmm. remember his name. Yes, C. Robert Cargill. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Cargill. Very funny guy. It was a very funny movie, and and I I think it is a disservice to say that it's just Tony Stark again and that they're <laughs> copying that because the humor was very different. It was esoteric and it was weird and it was mean and they swore <laughs> and said bad words all the time, just like doctors, which was also really refreshing yeah. to see in a Marvel maybe it was movie. just the pop culture references to me like that that bit felt a you little telling me that Beyonce <laughs> bit didn't land? Come on, <laughs> so good. Come on. <laughs> the, the the aftermath like him uh wong listening to the music that was great uh i don't i don't know if the like extended you don't know who beyonce is like that that thing of cumberbatch kind of trying to be uh i don't know uh, astounded that somebody wouldn't know that that didn't land like uh, speaking of like uh you know fascinating well, they're in the middle of like Tibet or whatever. yeah, like that. That I mean, it's fair that maybe right, right, Beyonce right. hasn't, you know, broken. That makes there. sense. That may, I, I think the way he went about it, like I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking of like uh, I'm thinking of like asshole, very powerful or no, very uh, intelligent doctors. I think of like Hugh Laurie and House, right? Like that. That is kind of like the guy I think of when I think of an asshole doctor like this, who's just so intelligent. Everyone else is beneath him, and I never quite, I never quite got that there with uh, Cumberbatch. All right. Uh, well, 
I think that was a pretty good defense of uh, both sides of that argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot more to discuss, but why don't we get to spoilers? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about whitewashing and the ending of the film. So spoilers for Doctor Strange starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, Mikey. Mm. So, moments ago, you just said, I don't know, they were in the middle of, like, Tibet or something. They were not in the middle of Tibet. They were in Kathmandu. No, 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 it's okay. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I'm simply trying to say that that the way you reference it just now is very indicative of how this movie treats the East. That is, the East exists for white people to go and discover secret truths about themselves. And we have, it's, there's no real sense of where this place is or why it's important or who the people are. I mean, we have some nice establishing shots and you Mm -hmm. get some shots of the natives, but that's about it. And I think that, you know, there's a big controversy around this film regarding uh, whitewashing. They changed the ancient one uh, from an Asian character to a white character played by Tilda Swinton. Uh, And, you know, a lot of uh, people objected to that. A lot of Asian people objected to that because, hey, it's so difficult for Asians to get roles on screen. And you're you're taking another role out of the pool. Uh, And I think it would have gone down a lot smoother if the way this movie treated minority characters and Eastern cultures felt more respectful than I think it is, because it feels pretty rough. And let me just shoot a couple of things out there for you of why I think it feels pretty rough, right? Like, let me just one, say real quick, yes. real quick before you do, mm-hmm. uh, the character of Wong compared to how he is in the comic book is way more respectful. That's fair <laughs> just, enough. That's fair enough. Just so you know, they yeah, changed him a lot. So I, for the better, in my opinion. Well, but go ahead. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think one of the challenges, and and I, I have a lot of empathy for this, uh, because Scott Derrickson actually gave an interview to the Daily Beast uh, with Jen Yamato, friend of the show, uh, where he talked about uh, his decision to change the ancient one uh, to a white woman, uh, played by Tilda Swinton. Uh, the, uh, the name of the the title of the article is "Doctor Strange: A Director Owns Up to Whitewashing Controversy," and this is a really great interview because uh, Scott Derrickson owns up to it, and he says most directors, when we talk about stuff like this, they are very defensive and they're very hostile, and they say, "Well, I could not have gotten the financing if I didn't cast Christian right. Bale in the movie." Muhammad so and so. Yeah. Oh and, God. Yes. Ridley Scott again. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ridley, what and, are you doing, bud? And, uh, and Scott Erickson is very, uh, very kind of understanding, and he, and he owns the decision. He says, hey, like, I, I made this choice, and I accept the consequences. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really got to respect that, because a lot of directors don't even get that far. Yeah. The problem, right, is that by trying to fix this problem of, hey, the ancient one is uh, basically – a somewhat racist stereotype. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're introducing another problem, right? Like they're they're introducing a problem of you are whitewashing this role. And is there a counterfactual where you could have had the ancient one played by an Asian person, but not have them be stereotypical and have like racist, like make them a racist caricature? Mm-hmm. I think it's entirely possible. Uh, but that is not the path they chose to go, and they're receiving criticism from it. And Scott Derrickson is saying, "Hey, I made the decision. I accept the consequences." And so, got to respect him for doing that. But that being said, I wish they hadn't made the decision that they made. 
Uh, yeah. I will say, if you're going to change an like a stereotypical Asian man into uh, a, a female white person, Tilda Swinton is a pretty good choice, right? Like she <laughs> so plays she's this not role. Of this earth, yeah, right? she, she plays is, this role she's... like in a very ethereal <laughs> way, right? Um, Mikey, what do you think of Tilda Swinton's performance in this movie? I so I read more sort of echoing your point about the the ancient one in the comics being a. a at times, a, a very racist caricature, and it's it's. Uh, I was I was reading a few articles and things, and and sort of seeing this damned if you do, damned if you don't situation you just described, yeah. where like if if they had cast an cast an older Asian man in that role, they could have you know stayed close to the source material and and made the comic fans happy, but made possibly your your, your eastern regions more unhappy, right? Uh, it's tough. Like I, I think one, the director owning up to it means we can all sort of stop and say, okay, so that wasn't the right decision, but it was okay. It wasn't the end of the world, you know. Um, it it wasn't it wasn't Paul Blart, you know. <laughs> which, <laughs> it wasn't which an apocalyptic event like Paul which, Blart, which right? isn't a good defense. <laughs> which isn't a good defense, but yeah, um, yeah like in the film, I expected because I'd heard so much about it, I expected it to bother me more but she is a transplant character at least, at least they explain it like they're not saying she's from here and this is what she looks like and you'd be like well yeah. that does, okay we found her as a child yeah, right. she grew up here right right so and, and to your specific question dave i i really enjoyed her performance right she she had nothing to do with the decision of casting her exactly so if you just if you just take her performance on the face of it the there are a bunch of ways to approach playing a character called the ancient one and she chose a way that almost no one else would mm-hmm. right there's a lightness a joy um an ephemeral sort of uh joviality to to her that i think nine out of ten actors would never make that decision they would all play her uh, play that character as dour and 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 uh mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, self-serious. And I think it, it really has a positive impact on the movie as a whole for me. Uh, yeah. I just thought the way she approached that character was so cool. I agree. Let me just say I enjoyed her performance as well. I disagree with the decision to cast her in that role, but I enjoyed her performance. I thought, yeah. you know, if you're going to do that, if you're going to make that decision, you know, that is one the probably the best way. You can see why they cast Tilda Swinton yeah. because, like, uh, she brings a lot to that role. So it's not like it was just a wasted, uh, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. racial so reversal I think there. Yeah, I give them. But full for context, full context for all this too is like is the uh, the Iron Fist casting, and then that brought up a lot of questions about like basically how Marvel is treating minority characters in general. So you know that's that's kind of the state of what we're talking about right now. So I think that's partially why a lot of people also got worked up about the change with right. the Ancient One and everything too. And for context. Um, Iron yeah. Fist is a Netflix show that's coming up where a lot of white yeah. people were cast yeah. in the movie, and uh, we're gonna have a, a lovely com- we're gonna have a lovely conversation lead. about that when that comes that's out gonna as be well. a bigger problem. Yeah, like, I, I think I, got, I think that'll I be a much a, bigger issue. Yeah, I got a little worked up about Doctor Strange. I am I am very annoyed by everything around Iron Fist right now. Yeah. So that's gonna be a whole other thing. So if we're at uh, like two, a, if we're at like a three right now for Doctor Strange, it's gonna be like an eight or a nine. For, it's gonna for be Iron crazy. Fist. To, yeah. to Scott Derrickson's credit, though, I love that he cast Chiwetelogy Four as Mordo, a character who is originally white, I believe, and also Chiwetelogy Four, fucking amazing. Like this dude makes everything better. He will never be as great i guess to me in a genre piece as like a space ninja 
as he was in Serenity, but this is almost close. And I, I, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does as as an actual villain. So I just came up with a fix, I think, for, <laughs> okay. for the chat. So, well, because I'm doing the exercise in the background, I'm like, who would I cast in that? Because I, I think to have the conversation, you need to find an endpoint that could have possibly given you a better result. Yep. And I think the Ancient One should have been played by B.D. Wong, who we've, mm. we've watched play oh, a, a transgendered oh, woman man, yeah. on, on Mr. Robot. Yep, to, yep. And it's like, just see what he wants to do. Yeah, just like and let him just, follow, just let him do his thing. Just let him do his thing. It would have solved all your problems right there. So I love. Um, uh, I think that uh, I would love to reference BoJack Horseman when they said <laughs> all the kids use the you know use the phrase NBD, which stands for not BD, which is not BD Wong, <laughs> yes. which means uh, <laughs> what would BD Wong do? And if it's not BD, it's not cool. <laughs> I think it's uh, so uh, quotes from this article Derrickson actually lends his support to people who are opponents uh, of Swinton's casting quote I don't feel that they're wrong I was very aware of the racial issues that I was dealing with but I didn't really understand the level of pain that's out there for people who grew up with movies like I did but didn't see their own faces up there Mm-hmm. Later, he continues. Well, the angry. Let me just finish. The angry voices and the loud voices that are out there, I think, are necessary. And if it pushes up against this film, I can't say I don't support it because how else is it going to change? This is just the way we've got to go to progress. And whatever price I have to pay for the decision I've made, I'm willing to pay. End quote. Jeff, what were you going to say? I had the opportunity to uh, have a brief interview with Benedict Wong, who plays Wong, and. Um, he brought up the fact that he was having uh, lunch with Chutel Okafor and um, you know he was like, "What are you working on? I'm working on a Marvel movie. I'm in a Marvel movie." So oh, I want to be in a Marvel movie. He's like, "Yeah, we should check it out." And he was like, "There are, you know, I'm looking through all the comics. There aren't there aren't any Asian characters. Oh, here's one." Uh, and you know, I think that's it. Really speaks to your um, your point here, which is these actors and and more than just these actors kids you know people humans uh look at these heroes and go okay where do i see myself exactly uh and and i have to say marvel has done an incredible job in the last 3 to 5 years uh, from, from from a comics perspective in completely blowing the doors off that and really opening things up and making a much more diverse stable of characters so um, I think you know they deserve a little credit just from there, and, and I hope that that permeates into their cinematic universe as well. We've seen way more diversity. Uh, you know, Ms. Marvel that stars a, um, a young Muslim girl. We've you know it, it, there's a lot of stuff happening there in the page on the page, and I hope that it permeates into their cinematic universe. I think it would be mm-hmm, a positive mm-hmm. thing. I agree with you, Jeff, and uh, I hope that it permeates as well. I feel like uh, Doctor Strange is in a bit of an awkward place and i i feel like okay ancient one whitewashed uh shit happens you know we've seen that happen i can understand that i think that the movie's other minority related sins are twofold number one is as with many other films like the incredibly culturally relevant avatar like with the last samurai you have a white man Coming into an, a foreign culture and just completely mastering it. He's within, a natural guy. Within like six weeks. I mean, Mordo, the character of Mordo, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, has like worked at this for <laughs> decades. And he's like, no one can master you know, that book. And I, then- I like, by the way, that you could see the seeds. <laughs> 
of uh, Mordo's rage as he saw how great like uh, Stephen Strange was getting. He's like, you see, he's going to become a villain, like not from the end of the movie, but from like the beginning. It's like, I got to destroy this fool. Like, I cannot believe how hard so, it worked. So, you know, that's it's it's a uh, it, it kind of plays off the white savior narrative that we've right. seen in countless other uh, films and and uh, uh, writings. Uh, and so that is a, a bit of a disappointment. Uh, but also, it feels like it kind of – all the other characters who are minority characters, and so the diversity in casting is good, feel like they only exist uh, in order to actualize uh, Doctor Strange. Like mm-hmm. the, all their, their sole purpose for existing is making it so that Doctor Strange can become the best white man that he can be. And uh, that is also kind of disappointing. To wit, I don't believe – Despite how incredibly heavily this movie borrows from Asian culture, I don't believe you ever see an Asian person fight in this movie. You, maybe for like ten seconds, you see them getting the ready. The minions, you, you like see them magic. getting ready to fight. You know, yeah. you might see them fight for a few seconds, but uh, you don't see them fight. And I think the idea of like Wong being a librarian, there is, uh, I don't know, like as an Asian man. Uh, you're in this movie that borrows heavily from the East and you don't see any Asian men fight, but you see Wong get to be a librarian. Yeah. So I guess that's cool. You know I guess I mean? it's sort of like the double-edged sword <laughs> thing again, too, because like if you see the Asian people fight and you're like, oh, man, we're, we're being racist again. I, I don't know. That, if, that's if, all if all people of all the other colors are fighting, I'm, I'm cool <laughs> if Asian people are fighting. Yeah. I, think, um, I think there were among uh, the bad guy, I forget his name, but among his minions, I think there were. So that's, yeah. that's we, the thing. Can we chalk that up to a Marvel problem, though? Yes. Like in yes. terms of very much, you, you have your your source material, yeah. and because we're looking at older comics, and as Jeff was saying, they are rectifying this now, and they're building some of the, like we're going to see a Miles Morales Spider Man in in the next ten years, right. on that's, the big screen because they're they're sort of accelerating some of that. But like all of these characters are are white men, and mm-hmm. and to sort of counterpoint the the argument a little bit. Can you tell me any well, you know, developed side character in a Marvel film? <laughs> because, like, of, of the origin ones, they all sort of get the same. Because you have, you have, you know, best friends in, yeah. in Iron Man and you have girlfriends and other things. And they're all sort of equally underwritten. And that is amplified this far into the Marvel franchise movies because – We've seen the origin of mm-hmm. of a lot of white men, and I, I and think all yeah they're, all they're the... starting to give us more, but it's a very fair point. It's a very fair point, Mikey. Yeah, like that. It, these problems are systemic to Marvel and side mm-hmm. characters generally, and it just so happens that they are all minority characters in Doctor Strange. Yeah. And, right? and Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, even though it it's also emblematic of this problem, it's I think done the best. Of developing those side characters and making them mean something, and then, yeah, it's I uh, want it's worth, this universe to learn more from that movie. Yeah. It's worth noting that uh, to reinforce Mikey's point, it mm-hmm. is it's worth noting that the Guardians of the Galaxy is based on source material that was written in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. right? The, and I'm not defending it because I think you guys make very valid points, but I also kind of don't know the solution. If you're right. it, the fantasy that is Doctor Strange was written at a time when the audience was young white kids and the fantasy that they were selling is this strange other culture that Mm -hmm. we don't understand has mysteries and secrets in it. And here's one of us going into that culture and, and getting those secrets. And that's, 
that's what Doctor Strange is. That's yeah. what Danny Rand it's is. It's pure Orientalism. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm not defending that. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. good. I'm just saying that 60 years ago when it was written, like it was a completely right. different time. And right. I, I kind of don't know how you solve that. I mean, I think you can make – I think they went a long way with the Wong character. Yeah, I get it. He doesn't fight and he's a librarian. But he also wasn't the manservant of Doctor Strange, which is what yes. he is in the comic book. You know, <laughs> um, so yeah. so I, th- there are baby steps, and maybe they aren't big enough steps. But I kind of also don't know, yeah, how I, uh, big a step you can take and still make this story. You know, Jeff, I sympathize a lot with what you're saying because I think basically the logical endpoint of what I, David Chen, am asking for is something like an Asian character being a lead in a Marvel film, which I understand if the world is not ready for at this point. Um, So I I very much sympathize, and I also recognize, you're right, there are baby steps. That amplifies the Iron Fist point so badly. (laughs) Yep. That just puts a huge magnify... I cannot... That episode is going to be... But at the same time, Jeff, you know, while I I recognize what you're saying, and they are taking steps in the right direction, I agree with you. There's going to be a Black Panther movie that's like 90% uh, characters of color, actors of yeah. color in that movie, yeah. and that's going to be amazing. Um, I, I love, time, by I, the way, every time we hear news about the Black Panther casting, it is it feels like a literal fuck you to every other Marvel movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, look at who we got in here, guys. You can't fit them into your movies. We're going to stuff them all into our movie, all right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, while I understand all that, I can't deny how I felt watching this movie, which yes. is not super yeah. happy, you know? And, and, I'm, and I'm, tr- yeah. I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to invalidate that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. So it's, it's tough. I agree it is tough. And maybe decades from now, when the present day comics are being made into, uh, into films, we'll, we'll, we'll look back on this time, Jeff, and, and laugh at, at how we are so bothered by the lack of diversity <laughs> in Marvel films. I hope that day comes. Um, and, you know, I bring it up just because, you know, if anyone who's working for Marvel or has any influence there is listening and who's reading all the stuff online, objecting to this. Uh, it's people uh, like myself and, and other people way more influential and powerful than me making us think about this stuff that I think has slowly pushed us forward. And so that's why I, will, I bring so, it up. Yeah. I also want to point out that uh, while I was talking to uh, Benedict Wong, uh, he let slip that he is going to be in the uh, Infinity War films. And I think that is a very good sign that they are treating Wong as a character mm-hmm. as, I mean, yes, a sidekick, but I think an equal to Doctor Strange in that he isn't he isn't just cordoned off into the Doctor Strange films as a side character, right? right if right. if Doctor Strange is showing up in the Infinity War, Wong is going to be by his side. Like they're a team. They are they right. are partners, right? And I think that's a that's a good sign too. Yeah. I, I guess no. what I'm saying is I just want a Marvel movie that's as woke as Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. That's all I want. <laughs> that's all I want. Can't we guys. get that incredibly modest ask? Um, but I think but- I think we can all agree that the car crash where Harold and Kumar get their powers is way over the top. Right, guys? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and Neil Patrick Harris shows up. It's insane. It's I was waiting for Stephen Strange to actually fall in love with Wong. I thought that would have made... Because, like, if the, if the bullshit side romance just went away and it was yeah. actually about Strange and Wong falling in love... <laughs> We would be talking about how woke this film is. If his love is Wong, I don't want to be right. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Jeff, nice. It's like you guys planned that. All right, oh, anyway. That hurt uh, Let's to, to, to bring things back to this movie just quickly, I think a bigger problem for me isn't just the fact that, uh, you know, Stephen Strange masters all this stuff. 
it seems like he has a complete moral turn of heart in a split second. And I don't quite know what led to that. You know, we see him train. We see him do a lot of things. And at a certain point, he's like, oh, crap, I got, I got to save this entire structure that's, uh, you know, protecting the world from this demon thing. Well, we, we, we saw him break down like we, we saw yeah. his like sort of systematic deconstruction. And, yeah, it was it was a little fast, maybe. But like you're talking about a guy that hit, all of his value was in his hands and he's camping out on this doorstep that he that he made his way into. <laughs> then they threw him out. And he had nowhere to go. And it was like that, that was a moment maybe they could have taken a, a, a slightly longer beat and let us really see that he doesn't run the room. Because that, that's, that's Stephen Strange prior to going and meeting the, the, the ancient one. I forget her name. Um, like prior, prior to that, he, he owns every room he walks into. Yeah. And now he's walked into one that he doesn't. And we did we, – we saw that happen a little bit but then it was like then he was training and then it happened and then it was it was i think either either make it the training a little more humbling because that felt pretty right like he's just so he's so quick at getting everything and then yeah there's a sequence the the first like big attack sequence where he fights mads mickelson uh in the middle of the film that's a good situation to like just have him completely get owned you know, have him completely show how little he knows about this world, and instead he he you know he, he gets saved him. from he his beats, he, he beats him thanks to his wonderful cape, uh, which is a great character by the way. But he still ends up one of the best characters cape. in the film is an yes. inanimate, the cape. most yeah. well developed character. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's a very the, his cape is very kind of uh, magic carpet from Aladdin uh, yes. in the sense that you really feel that this cape is a character almost, which I think is a, is a great so achievement rad. of the film. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I, I agree, I, Devendra, I think what you're pointing out is just a, kind of a systemic issue of the film is that it, it kind of has to rush through a lot of uh, beats and, uh, and plot developments. Because I like so, failure. There's I like so my much characters to, get done. to fail, yeah. guys. I want more of that. <laughs> um, I, so, so, you know, I, I feel like we've said, I've said my bit about whitewashing. I don't feel like the way the movie treats minority characters is very good, and I think it's highly problematic. But given all that, guys, given all that, I, you know... Uh, I said I think the, the way it treats minority characters is maybe a 2 out of 10. The plot is maybe a 7 out of 10. The visuals, 10 out of 10. And the final sequence is incredible in both conception and execution. Yes. Yeah. Having, everything you love, Dave. Having an action scene <laughs> take place in a major city that's re- reverse constructing itself is mind-blowing. And the way it's done is so brilliant. I just oh, that's what it. you're pointing to. I thought you would be pointing to the time loop because we know how that much too, Stephen that, that's cool too. time loops. That's cool yeah. too. Now, let me ask you this question, Mikey, is what did you think of the villain in this film? Like, Did you feel like, you know, he's kind of a face, right? Did you feel like this was a satisfying villain to vanquish? Some people uh, I saw this movie with actually were confused. Like, is this person actually Thanos? Because his face looks kind of <laughs> Dormammu. Similar. It's obviously Dormammu. <laughs> so, yeah. What did you think of the right. villain and Dormammu and how he's established in this film, Mikey? Uh, I am now aware his name was Dormammu. Uh, <laughs> but that, I, but, I, but not as a slight. I, I honestly didn't know because I, I didn't yeah. catch it when I was watching it. They um, shout it a lot of times and I laughed every single time. <laughs> I, I, I think the ending is important because it wasn't just a a big fight with with special effects and magic it was like one very smart character must intellectually battle another very smart character yeah. and it wasn't a typical marvel finale and and i i think the ending 
did did have me walking out of the theater saying, you know, I did love that. Like I I have a lot of problems and it and I feel like we've actually focused on them so much that it that it seems uh, uh, more negative than than maybe some of us intended to be. Definitely me. Um, it it we 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 start seeing complexity happen. Uh, like when when Morta walks away and and he walks away from from uh, uh, Christine. Whew, remember her name, Christine. Like he leaves it with her really complicated, and he leaves it with this 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 sort of you know friend role he's had in the movie, and that's really complicated. And the movie was really happy to leave some stuff on the table and have and have the complication sort of carry forward in a natural way and i thought that was awesome cuz usually marvel movies are like wrapped up people are in love beat the bad guy best friends good we good like that you know yeah. that's kind of the cuz like 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 iron man and war machine are best buds they're going to get in some big argument about alcohol or whatever at some point in the film one of them's going to get hurt, you know, and then they're going to get really mad at each other and they're going to come back together and, and all the loose threads will, will melt away. But like in this film, it was really, really happy to keep loose threads, um, which is a really weird way to talk about the villain. Uh, but there's just nothing much to talk about. I, said, I got off track there to make a point I wanted to make. Matt <laughs> Nicholson was fine. He was funny. He, like he had some good lines. That there just wasn't enough. Yeah, it, yeah, not too much of Matt Mickelson. Uh, yeah, again, they're doing so much. They're introducing two villains, Caecilius and the guy he's worshipping, Dormammu, and they need to give them satisfying confrontations and end games for both. I don't even um, know if that's too much. It's more like, yeah, they, they do need. They both need a little more. Uh, Matt Mickelson does bring some stuff to that role, but I guess we're casting him just for his accent in his very, you know, angular face. And that alone can't make a character. Yeah, don't right? forget his cheekbones. His cheekbones, his cheekbones cut you. and that, that the eyeliner guys, like you just staring into the face yeah. of what? Pure evil, right? Just completely burns your eyes. You can it's, you it's, can it's great look. You can live forever, but you gotta have raccoon eyes forever. <laughs> yeah. Well but, but the movie decision. but the movie pointed that out. And that was yeah. that was where I thought it was really clever in breaking the fourth yeah. wall when when Mad Mickelson, you know, sells them on this huge like dream of join us and we'll do this and you can all become one with this big entity and it actually sounds pretty good and 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 Doctor Strange just looks and he's like yeah but your eyes <laughs> like he just he calls it out because like you look evil so obviously I shouldn't trust you. like it it was nice to, to see them using that as as a shorthand to sort of inform the characters and not and not. And not have the big scene where Doctor Strange is tempted by, you know, destroying the Earth, like, because that wouldn't make any sense. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that the Marvel films as a whole often have the opposite problem as uh, traditional DC films have. Not, not so much these more recent ones, but, you know, Batman movies traditionally have fallen into the trap of like the, the villain is way more interesting than the hero. And, and it's sort of more a movie about the villain and the hero just sort of pops in and, but really, we're, we care about the Joker. We care about you know Bane. We care. We care about what the villain is doing uh, more than the, the sequel. Yeah, yeah. The uh, origins don't do that. It's always the sequel. <laughs> well, you got to get the origin out of the way. Even the first, I guess so. But even the you know even the first Tim Burton Batman, it's like you know Jack Nicholson steals that oh, movie. Yeah. Um, and and the Marvel the, movies have the opposite problem, right? Is yeah. that the the villains often aren't particularly interesting they're just a speed bump on the way to our hero actualizing um and and i'm i'm hoping that in in this upcoming wave with thanos and and some more sort of high profile 
uh, weightier villains that we'll we'll see villains that are you know a little more interesting. Um, but well, I, we I also get one of the the better post credit sequences in the film, mm-hmm. uh, in this film. Uh, yeah, like Mordo a, being a villain, I think will be really fun going forward. Yeah, and uh, the way they shot that scene, I thought was pretty awesome. You know, with him, yeah. the way that final camera shot on him before it cuts to black, I, it just it makes him look very threatening and, and scary. And it's and, cool, and you can I, I, and you can I, retroactively see the movie as a Mordo origin story. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah. So ha- hang on one second. Was there a second after credits action sequence? Because I missed this. Oh, <laughs> it was after yeah. The entire, yeah. After, yeah, after everything is over. So there's a, you got to oh. stay through the end of the end credits. Come on, Mikey. We've been doing this for years. Dude, I don't look any of that stuff up. Like, if it, I, I, it's I a know Marvel the- movie. You never <laughs> leave. Right, it was, I watched the one. <laughs> the one with Thor. Yes. Yeah, no, the one with Thor. Yeah. I think yeah. that one was I also directed by Taiki, uh, Taika, Taika Waititi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like... Y- I, I didn't know there was two. I, There's I, another I, one. Well, firstly, yeah, shame on you, Mikey. But secondly, it's okay because most, in my opinion, most of the post-credit sequences are actually pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one was actually pretty good, in my opinion. So You'll never get I, the high of seeing Samuel L. Jackson, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing. That, that one is the one I, to beat, right? I stood up in my chair and put my arms in the sky and, and just uh, exclaimed <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> the, the After Iron Man, when he yeah, talks about... Uh, it was... Yeah. It was a different time. People don't even understand what it's it was like. A simpler time. Uh, he, when he said the word Avengers Initiative, I yeah, I erupted uh, on <laughs> can, several levels. Can you guys uh, believe but, that Iron Man 1 only came out eight years ago? Like the entire MCU has happened in eight years. Eight years is a long time. I don't know. That's just nuts to contemplate because it's so many billions of dollars. They've made so many movies even you know, just in yeah. that time. It's pretty impressive. Uh, I so. want to hit a couple of other things yeah. before we get out of the uh, spoiler section. Um I you know I loved all of the action sequences, uh, but I I particularly appreciated the sequence that happens in the hospital with the astral projection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, astral projection is a big part of the lore of, of of Doctor Strange. I loved seeing it in the movie. I thought it was really well done in the movie. But I also love the fact that you know Doctor Strange is really about you know maybe embarrassingly so in the context of sort of white person in Asian culture, but it always has been about uh, science. And mysticism meeting like he's an expert in science and he becomes an expert in mysticism. And what what does that mean? Like, a, you know, mystics are mystics and scientists are scientists and never the twain shall meet except in Doctor Strange, who's a master of both worlds. And I loved how that sequence reinforces that it's this mystical fight that happens in the most technologically heavy environment. And he actually uses technology to win. I just thought that was a cool expression of that theme without sort of hitting it over the head. Yeah, and on that note, uh, I feel like this movie does a great job. It, it has so many things to do, right? I've said this five times already, but it has so many things to do. And one of the things I think it does a great job at is uh, just introducing all these concepts that I feel are probably going to come into play during Infinity War, right? The uh, What is the, the mirror dimension? Right, right. Uh, I strongly suspect well, we haven't seen the last of the mirror dimension yet, right? Um, and they're doing a smart thing, putting the Infinity Gems as attached to characters. Like, you know, the Eye of Agamotto is an Infinity Gem, right? A Vision's headpiece is an Infinity Gem. Like having giving Thanos a, a, a hero to conquer to steal the Infinity Gem to assemble the Infinity Gauntlet. 
it's such a brilliant way to tie that all in and make those characters' participation organic. And, and it's not canon, right? That's, that's an, an affectation of the film franchises, and it's really smart, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Anything else you want to bring up, Jeff, before we uh, wrap it up here? Um, I, I just I really loved it. I had a blast. I got <laughs> okay, one question for you guys. Uh, Benjamin Bratt's character is that a, is that a comic character? Or yeah. What what is going what is, on there? What is his provenance? Because he seems like a very recognizable face to have in like that throwaway role. I felt the same way. I was racking my brain. Um, if if he is a notable comic book character, it, it is beyond my knowledge base. So uh, as, I mean, as, I maybe yeah. As stunt casting goes, if that had been Sandra Bullock, <laughs> I'd have been. Very excited. <laughs> like Benjamin Bratt is not a stunt cast. He yeah. shows up on screen. You're like, where do I know you? I were know the, him from uh, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not. If that was Bill Murray, you know, <laughs> just something rant, you know. Yeah. It is. I, I mean, it's just it crazy. They give him. A, they focus on his name, Jonathan Pangborn. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. they mention his name multiple times. So it just I feels like up just in the credit sequence. Yeah. yeah. He was. He was in the credits. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, "Oh, Benjamin Bratt." Cool. No, 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 no. He's sorry, sorry, Mike. He's in the uh, credit sequence that you weren't there for, like the stinger. The at the end. Yeah. So it's like that's important. Oh, he was in the 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 opening ones, wasn't he? W- what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm. I don't know. I saw. <laughs> no, I saw. I saw the first credit. Yeah, he was in the end credits because the the he was in the credits. We're talking about the scene, the cut scene. No, I'm after. saying the fact he had a prominent featured name in the credits is what I'm saying. Oh, yes, I yes. see. That was yeah, yeah, no, no. That what, was what, we are, that what we was... are saying is that he is actually in a actual scene that plays out with Mordo <gasps> and Pangborn in the stinger oh, that happens after You've the credits. You've missed so much. Really to see this. Yeah, this what we're really good. saying is never leave the theater in a Marvel movie. <laughs> no, I don't. God, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, watch all these. We're making you do this. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't agree. <laughs> Do the first credits and then show us the scene, which is what Mar- Marvel usually yeah. does. Adding yeah. a second one. Come on, guys. Come on. Well, it's not yeah, as bad as uh, D- what DC does, which is they have that first scene after the initial wave of credits, and then you wait till the end, and then nothing happens. Um, <laughs> so I think I think my disappointment at nothing happening at the end of Batman v Superman is. Is higher than your disappointment at missing it after leaving early. I'm sorry. Was that your disappointment with <laughs> Batman v Superman? That was the biggest disappointment. I'm pretty That's sure right. that doesn't make the yeah. list. They were actually helping you because the movie was shorter than you thought. Yeah, I, I left, and I will leave next time as well. I will wait for the first credits, watch that, and I will leave again. I just I can't. On the other hand, Wonder Woman trailer, pretty good, guys. Pretty good. That's All right, yeah. cool, very cool. All right, um, well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Doctor Strange. Sounds like uh, Mikey and Jeff were pretty big fans. Davinder and I also liked it, but had a few more problems. Uh, but Mikey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. An honor, I would actually say. Wow. Um, so, where can people I find? It was an honor to have me on. Like, it, I'm. I love slash films, so this is cool. I was not expecting this. You're Thank right. You. You're right. The honor is yours. I apologize. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, let's just. We're all honored. <laughs> we're all basking in my glow. But That's thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us. Where can people find more of your work on the internet this uh, week? You can follow me on Twitter at MikeyFace, all one word. You can go to moviesofmikey.com. Uh, or you can check out any of the Borderlands games or uh, Battleborn, which we released a few months ago because uh, I work at Gearbox. I'm chief creative champion there. We make a lot uh, of games. Good ver- stuff. Very cool. And, uh, yeah, uh, all three of us have watched uh, Movies of Mikey. 
uh, and played Borderlands, I believe, too. So we've, mm-hmm. we've consumed your work in a number of ways and are huge fans. So I would recommend, if you're a lover of movies, uh, check out Movies of Mikey. It is de- I- Even if you don't agree with everything, it is, at the very least, very thought-provoking. So uh, if, if you like the casting of Mordo in Doctor Strange, you will be happy to know the next Movies of Mikey is Serenity. Yes! Nice. Yeah! Very cool. You, uh, just, you just made Devinder very happy. I'm very happy about that. Also, that's you a know, movie that needs a dive. It needs you know a deep what? dive. Can we, can we just say right now, David Chen has never seen Serenity? <laughs> that's okay. That's a, I never – like people get entertained in the ways they get entertained. Like part of, part of my review no. of Serenity is going to be <laughs> not cool. I'm disappointed. No, <laughs> don't, don't, do not forgive him for that. <laughs> I, I forgive everyone for everything. And you love what you love. I'm a hippie. It's whatever. But like – Oh, yeah, for sure. If, if you haven't seen Firefly, I don't think Serenity has anywhere near as much value. And that's sort of what not I'm dissecting. It's like yeah. – well, Of course. That's like the, the point. People, He's not seen either of them. Yeah, that's, that's I've been, okay. I, so I've known Dave since college, Mikey, and uh, ever since what 2002, I've been telling this guy to watch Firefly. Still nothing, nothing. Yeah, he even bought me the Blu-ray. I feel pretty bad about that. Sitting right there. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. that's rough. Yeah, yeah. It's time to watch Gods in, of Egypt, though. <laughs> well, maybe maybe my movies and Mikey will convince you to watch it. Maybe. All right, okay. all right, all right. I look forward to checking it out. Uh, Devendra Hardware, more of your work can be found where? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com/slash Devendra, and I write about tech and gadget.com. I just reviewed the PS4 Pro, so go check that out. Yeah, good review. Uh, Jeff Canada, how about you? I have two other shows for you to check out. If you like video games, you can listen to me talk about them on a show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. We just had an episode come out today uh, with Jeff Gerstmann. Really good one. And uh, I do a uh, comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And find all my work at DaveChen.me. And you can find my film, The Primary Instinct, at theprimaryinstinct.com. It's also available for free on Hulu. Check it out. Next week, we will be reviewing uh, Denis Villeneuve's newest film, Arrival, one of my most anticipated films of the year, so really psyched about that. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We are out. <laughs>